welcome to Iris Matters. We are back with Barb Colzer. Barb, would you tell us a little bit about what your role is on the staff of Iris and with the real estate industry? I am the Regional Government Affairs Director for Iris. And in that role, my job is to be basically the watchdog for public policy with local governments so that the subscribers know what local governments are doing and can advocate on behalf of our industry if they need to. That's wonderful. We are really glad to have you doing that because there are so many different ways that that can become super relevant to our subscribers, to our listeners. How did it come about that you ended up in this role, Barb? It's an interesting story, Annie. In 2003, the owners of IRIS, the five local realtor boards, got a grant from the National Association of Realtors and decided to create this role because they could see how fast Northern Colorado was growing and they felt that someone was needed to help watch what's going on up here. And so they started my job as a pilot program and then in 2005, the pilot program ended and Lauren decided to take me under her wing and made me a staff member of IRIS. And I've been at it ever since. One of the things we're going to be talking about today is going to be metro districts. But what sort of a, a quick overview of some of the issues that you've been involved with or had to, to watch out for for uh, subscribers? Oh boy, the list is really long. There are so many things that affect real estate because it is not only about legislation, it's about quality of life. So I look at things like land use issues and our government's trying to stop or control government. I look at housing affordability because that has been an issue as long as I've been here. I look at things like transportation because if people can't get here and move around Northern Colorado easily, then that affects the ability to sell real estate or buy it. The last thing you want is to have some new company come up here and get stuck on I-25 and then say, you know, we don't want to build our company here because the transportation is horrible and all of those jobs are then lost to Northern Colorado, which means all of those home buyers are not available to our subscribers. So that in a nutshell encapsulates just one of the things that I follow and I hope I explained why it's important. I think it's very clear why that's important. In some ways, you are being an economic watchdog for the region. I am curious, uh, just listening to you explain that, that facet of your role, what sort of avenues of advocacy you have if you see something coming down the pipeline that might be a little bit of an issue? Well, the way it usually starts, Annie, is through looking at the agendas for local governments, and that way you can see the things that they're preparing to vote on. And by getting to know the staff at local governments, you know the ideas and the proposals that they're putting together. So when I see something that I think of is of concern to the realtors, I go to the representatives of those local associations and I make sure they're educated on the issue. And I say, what do you think about this? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? And that way, 
working together, we can formulate a position on the issue. And if needs be, they can go and get in front of those elected officials during the formal public hearing process and articulate their position and hopefully help to convince those officials to accept their proposal, their opinions one way or the other when they're making a decision on that legislation. That makes a lot of sense. And there's quite a bit of uh, networking and keeping your eyes open in that process. The other thing I wanted to say, Annie, is that a lot of members of the public don't pay attention to local government and therefore don't really know what's going on. And so actually people might be surprised to know that elected officials are happy when people come and comment at public meetings because that way they're not just making a decision in a vacuum. And that's nice to know too. I think some folks may hesitate to be what might be considered a squeaky wheel, but in reality, it's being a bit more of a civil servant. Right, and it all depends on how you articulate your position. Over my years in observing local government, I've seen that some people get up and they're just rude and demanding. And those people generally aren't helping to advocate for their position, but if you get up and you're polite and you have some good data behind you and you simply want to say these are the reasons why we urge you to vote for or against this particular proposal it really is helpful and it creates a positive relationship and uh, that is what I think everybody wants to see. Everybody working together, not not in opposition. Right. Um, Barb, before we move into a deeper discussion about Metro District, what is the best way for our listeners, uh, people listening in on this podcast, to stay up to date with the bulletins and the blog posts that you're putting out there? I think the easiest way is to subscribe to my updates either by emailing me directly or by reading my updates on iris-net.com because I know those are posted as soon as I write them. And that way people can read about what, what's going on and I try to include links when they're relevant so people can get more information. And I also want to emphasize that I welcome comments and questions from subscribers. And so anytime they want to know more, I would love to hear from them. Wonderful. I would love to get a synopsis of what your work has been with Metro Districts. I started hearing about Metro Districts about 10 years ago, and I, I didn't really know what they were. So I educated myself about their intent and their purpose, and I realized that they were becoming more and more prevalent in Northern Colorado. Just to give you an idea, right now there are over 1,800 metro districts in the state, and I would say at least 25% of those have been created in the past five years. So they're growing in popularity because of the way they work, which we'll get into in a minute. It, it was really important in my perspective to educate real estate professionals on how they work so that they can do the best possible job when they're working with a client to educate their clients and help them make good choices when they're buying or selling a home. So that is why I became interested in Metro Districts. They were just growing so quickly and I thought, 
I'm not sure that realtors understand what they are and how they function. And that worried me. So that's why they have become my passion. And that is something that I would love to hear you elaborate on a little bit more because there's a lot of misconception. There's, there's a lot of different ways a Metro district can express itself. So would you give us that, that overview of what is a Metro district? A metro district is a special form of government that by state statute can provide two or more services within its geographical boundary. And those services tend to be infrastructure for the most part, things like roads, water, sewer, other basic services that a home buyer would need, but also can be things that are more of amenities like open space trails, parks, rec centers, pools, those sorts of recreational facilities. Great. You sort of covered this in explaining what a metro district is, but I'd like to elaborate a little bit on this piece because I don't know that everybody agrees that there is a benefit to metro districts. So can you explain to us what the benefit is of a metro district? The benefit is that a metro district is a funding mechanism for developers so that they can build more homes. And anybody who's active in real estate in northern Colorado, especially right now, knows about the inventory problem that we have. And we haven't seen as many new homes as we need to accommodate all the people that are looking. So the first benefit is that they create more homes for people. The second benefit is that they can at least initially create a lower down payment cost for a buyer because of the way they function, roughly a 4% lower down payment, which can amount to a, a decent amount of money when you're talking about a new home. What are the drawbacks to a metro district? Because we know that they've gotten a little bit of a bad rap, so. Yeah, I think one reason for that is just because they're complicated and, you know, in some ways relatively new to consumers. But the first thing that, that a consumer needs to know is that in order to create the metro district and fund that infrastructure or amenities that we discussed, the developer is allowed to sell bonds and that gives them the revenue for those items. And in return, the developer is allowed to charge the consumer who buys the home additional property tax. And that is what pays back the bonds that the developer is liable for in creating the subdivision. So I think the additional property tax can be seen as a, a negative only because it's a different funding mechanism than people are used to. There are a lot of other things that have been mentioned as, and, and I should say not necessarily fairly as negatives. Some city council people have said out loud that they make homes more expensive. And I don't think that that is really a fair assessment because they're not basing that on data. They're just saying, well, if you're charging somebody more property tax, that's gotta make the home more expensive than a non-Metro district home. The other issue, and one of the bigger issues for me in terms of public policy is the issue of disclosure and trying to figure out 
how to make it clear to a consumer when they're looking at a home with their agent if a home is in a metro district or not because that home may be a great home for them but before they get to the closing table and sign documents that obligate them to pay for the home and the property tax that they will be required to pay at, as a home in a metro district, they need to be aware of this and they need to be able to calculate whether they can afford that home, including the additional property tax mills that they will pay, not just when they sign on the dotted line at the closing, but you know, throughout the time that they own the home. So figuring out how to make that happen and if it's happening has been a big issue for Metro districts because anybody who has done a real estate transaction knows that when you sit down at the closing table, there are a lot of documents to sign and people by that point are so excited that they really, they may be scared looking at the numbers in the, the closing documents, but you know, by then they're emotionally um, tied to that home already. So the big idea was to find out how to let them know way in advance that the home is in a metro district so that they can look at it from a logical and financial perspective when they're comparing that home with a list of other homes that their agent has put together for them to consider. So after those two big issues, there are other things that people need to know about metro districts that have been discussed in the media. And one is transparency, you know, who develops the metro district, who are the board of directors that make decisions on behalf of the metro district. That sort of ties in with the idea that a homeowner needs to know who those directors are and Anyone who lives in a metro district needs to ensure, if they can, that other homeowners from the district are elected to that board so that they have good representation when decisions are made. And the interesting thing about a metro district, just like uh, a town or a county or any unit of government, is that the homeowners in that metro district have to be allowed to vote on increasing property taxes for that district. So it's not as if the owners never get a say in what occurs, they do, but they need to be educated in a very special way about what the Metro district can do. So when the time comes, they understand that and they're willing to do their homework and make good decisions when they do vote. There was a Denver Post series in 2019 that was very negative about metro districts and used some horror stories from districts that are, for the most part, not, not in northern Colorado. And people read that and they didn't stop to think about, well, gee, is every metro district bad? That reporter focused solely on bad actors or districts that had financial issues and caused some frustration for the people that bought homes in that metro district and it just made them all look bad and elected officials would hold up that series of articles and say look you know we can approve these things they're bad people don't know what they're doing but i just don't think that that's really fair because he could have included some examples from metro districts that function really well where residents are really happy 
and to interview homeowners in a metro district and say they didn't know they were in a metro district when they bought the home, I find that not necessarily very credible because people do have to sign documents. And even if they didn't work with a real estate agent and bought a home directly from the developer, that developer salesperson has to show them those documents and they should have looked at what they were signing, not just signed it all without, you know, realizing what they were doing. I think, you know, in our country, in our state, it is up to the consumer ultimately to make decisions about the homes that they buy and they're liable for it and they owe it to themselves therefore to be well educated when they make those decisions. One of the things that you brought up is disclosure and I know that Iris has been making some steps to make that metro district disclosure easier. What are some of the steps that have been taken to disclose metro district status a little bit more clearly within the real estate community? Actually, I'm really proud of IRIS because IRIS was the first MLS in the state to actually require somebody to indicate on a listing whether a home was in a metro district or not. And it, it took a few years because I talked to Lauren about it initially, and she said, well, how would an agent know? It would be hard for them to find out. But as they became more and more common, she had the vision and the foresight to realize that we really needed this information. And so now when an agent is looking at homes for a client, they easily can see whether that home is in a metro district and they can help that client get more information about what the property taxes have been on that home so that that consumer is just a lot better educated and can make a better decision for themselves. That's that's exactly what I was hoping to clarify. What is the place of metro districts within local government? Can you elaborate on that as well? Well, it's hard to explain this simply, but I'll do my best. A metro district is a subset of what is known in state statutes as a special district. You know, a water district is an example of a special district. It only provides water, but it's allowed to charge the people in the district for water and it can set an election if they need to, to pay for bonding, to create more water infrastructure. It, it has the authority to do all of that. And, and a metro district is similar to that because as I spoke about earlier, they can actually charge their homeowners property tax just like a local government can, and they could increase the number of mills if their homeowners approve that in a special election. So in that sense, it really very much is like a local government. And it's also similar in the fact that people are elected to a board of directors, just like a city council is elected to represent a town. So it's a strange idea, but they really are like a government because they have those taxing powers. Now, something else that is really interesting that you actually took the lead on is uh, you did a metro district study. My understanding is it's one of the first of its kind. Can you tell us 
how that came about and a little bit about what that study uncovered. I decided that we needed more actual data on metro districts because I heard local elected officials say, oh, they increase the price of homes, as we discussed earlier. I heard realtors say, well, I don't think that a metro district house will appreciate at the same level as a non-metro district house. I heard people making guesses about the effects of metro districts, but we didn't have any data to provide to real estate professionals. And, and that worried me because they were becoming so much more prevalent. I thought, you know, we need a study to really answer some of these questions. And so using a grant that I got through the National Association of Realtors, I hired a firm of economists called the Anderson Economic Group, who are much smarter at looking at economic data than I could ever be. And I asked them to look at these questions. And what they did was they picked 10 random metro districts in the Denver and Northern Colorado area. And I thought that was important because I didn't want to choose certain districts and I didn't want anyone to be able to say, oh, you only got the results because you handpicked these particular metro districts referencing that Denver Post article that we talked about and the reference, the, the description of only bad players in that series of articles. And so I had them randomly pick 10 metro districts. And the, one of the, the only things they needed was to choose metro districts that had been around long enough that they had enough data to be analyzed and metro districts that had public bond information available so that they could assess that data when trying to answer some of these questions. So they picked 10 metro districts and I asked them to answer some basic questions like, how does a metro district home compare to a non-metro district home when it comes to the down payment price? What happens over time in that metro district? Does it, do those homes appreciate? Are there more foreclosures? Things like that. And I also wanted to know things like how does the property tax increase or decrease on a metro district home? And so what the study found was that a metro district home allows a consumer a, a 4% lower down payment on average. So that was a positive thing, I thought. But over time, that metro district home is likely to cost the homeowner about 2% more because they're paying those additional property tax mills and because from the time that the home is created for at least about the first five years, those property tax mills go up because the home is being assessed on its value and it takes a little bit of time for the county assessor's office to look at that home, look at comparable homes around it, and the taxes go up for that reason. So I thought it was important that people would know that when they're looking at a metro district home. You know, 4% over the life of a loan isn't a huge amount, but it's something that people need to take into consideration. We also found in the study that metro district homes appreciate at the same level as a non-metro district home. So at least it provided some information on, on that topic. And 
finally, we found that homes in metro districts don't seem to get foreclosed upon at any higher rate than non-metro district homes. So because there hadn't been any data on the whole topic, the study is really just a jumping off point. And, and it's true, there have been no other studies that have addressed these issues in Colorado. And so I hope that in the future, someone else will continue to look at metro districts and do some of this economic analysis because as we have more and more of them that have been around for longer periods of time, there'll be more data. And maybe some of these things will change and it will be important to compare this study with the results of future studies to really help real estate professionals and consumers understand how metro districts function and what they should expect if they're buying a home within one or whether they even want to consider a metro district when they're looking for a new home. Thank you so much, Barb. And I think that is great that we have that jumping off point now. And, and like you said, hopefully that, that people will continue to add to that body of research. Barb, is there anything else that you would really like to speak to before we wrap up today? This has been really wonderfully informational and I've appreciated your time a lot. Well, it, it's my pleasure, Annie. Uh, I love to help educate people and give them information about a variety of topics, but this has been one of my favorites just because it is so complicated. And I heard so many people making basically unsubstantiated comments about them that I thought it was really important to know more. And I, I don't really have anything else that I wanted to bring up right now, except to say that, you know, my job is really to help people get information. And I want our subscribers to be more comfortable contacting me when they have questions about things related to government legislation, because they really help me understand issues and how the issues affect them and therefore how they could impact their clients. And without getting that kind of communication with people who are in the business, I am not as effective in doing my job. So they can help me be more effective. It's interesting because there's always something coming up that's new or different that I need to educate myself about. So it keeps me challenged and it you know, it's a lot of fun. Well, you all heard her. Feel free to reach out to Barb. Please make sure to follow her on either iris-net, reach out to her via her email address, subscribe to those newsletters, and make sure to stay up to date and communicate with us so that we can serve you better, so that Barb can serve you better and the community as a whole. Uh, thank you again so much, Barb, for joining us today, and we will catch you next time on Iris Matters.